Hi guys, welcome to the podcast, Lifestyle and Mindfulness with Laura. The podcast is about all things lifestyle, all things mindfulness, and you can find us on our Instagram at lifestyle.mindfulnesswithlaura. We release a podcast weekly found on most podcast streaming services such as Spotify, Google, Apple, and many more. You can find the link to the podcast through the bio on our Instagram. So feel free to head on over there and check out all of our other episodes. This podcast supports equality, diversity and inclusion for all walks of life. Enjoy. Do you have any questions before we begin? None whatsoever, Dale. Okay, cool. I'm just, I'm just excited to um, to be interviewed. <laughs> totally. Brendy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Laura. It is very exciting and quite an honour. Quite an honour. To everyone listening, this is uh, Brendan Ford, known as Brendy or Fabulous what? Brendy Ford. Um, <laughs> 100% Brendy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a little bit of a backstory with how Brendy and I know each other is uh, we met doing a community musical theatre show together called The Producers back in 2013. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> it was a camp time for both of us, wasn't it, Dale? Camp time. <laughs> oh, 100%. Um, that's going back a while now. So, um you and I were both very different people back then. Very different, but we bonded over our love for Taylor Dane. Um, yes, we <laughs> and, did. And uh, um, yeah. also for the love of trying to stuff each other up on stage <laughs> during my performances. <laughs> yes, Brendy and I, um, in a scene, we were dressed up as, as uh, if you don't know the producers, it's 100% it's comedy. And we were all dressed up as little old ladies with walking frames and we get to do a, uh, a walking frame routine, and, which is tap dancing in it, et cetera. And yeah. we, we were partners and we used to, especially on closing night, really try to um, tip each other over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the stage, just mentally trying to have a bit of it fun with it. Always, always. Yeah, I suppose that's the beauty of... Um, you know, amateur theatre and making friendships along the way. And, um, you know, this will tie, tie in really well into some of the questions that I'd like to talk to you about in today's um, episode. So um, I asked you, Brendy, when you were a child, how did you express yourself creatively? Okay, so pretty much how I expressed myself creatively, um, I, my parents did put me into drama classes when I was in grade Oh, one in grade two, which was mm -hmm. great. But uh, around about grade three, I sort of stopped that and went off and I don't know, did some sports or something. But for me personally, one, I loved doing drama in primary school, but then I always would get kind of sick of whatever hobby I was doing. Um, if, I was, if I was being forced to go to it, I wasn't a very social child, which is shocking because <laughs> later on in life, I'm quite a social butterfly. But I guess creatively, how I expressed myself, especially in my younger years, um, obviously, you know, I loved painting. I loved, um, I had a really wild imagination. So um, a lot of my friends, I was sort of the leader of the pack at primary school, even though I wasn't social in meeting new people, I was quite social at primary school and my crowd of friends were also quite, you know, large imagination. So we played a lot of um, make-believe games. I mean, one of my favourite games was playing Titanic on the, on the primary school <laughs> playground, um, you know. At the like, of, like Jack yeah. and... Um... <laughs> Um, I was always Molly Brown because I made sure that I was a character that got in a boat. Um, but then I also loved, I loved, one big thing for me was um, putting on skits at school. We used to, friends and I used to, you know, put on plays and um, comedy shows. And we set up like, there was an area at 
primary school. It was, you know, just kind of on the side of the driveway, but it was, had a little bench and stuff and we turned it into our own little theatre. I loved playing dress-ups. So yes. if I was I going to ask mother's... you about the fashion, actually. Yeah. <laughs> if I could get into my mother's wardrobe, my nan's wardrobe or my grandma's wardrobe mm-hmm. at any chance, I did. Um, and that, Amazing. I guess for me, yeah, primary school, that was sort of how I sort of got creative. And mm-hmm. then in secondary school, I was quite um, obviously aware of my sexuality, but I was quite scared to embrace my theatrical dramatic side at school because I was right. worried about bullying. So I more right. so turned to um, painting classes up until about year 10 when I realised <laughs> that I wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> and, and then I also turned to cooking classes at school um, up until year 12 when I also realised that I wasn't that good. Um, and then when school finished, that's when I really embraced um, my theatrical stage side. But yeah. Nice. That sounds really, um, that's quite a wide range of expressing oneself, which um, is really good, even in terms of like going on that self-exploration as you grew older and going into year 10 and year 12. And, and also I understand that hindsight is 2020. When we look back on our story, we can see where, um, you know, you say that you weren't as comfortable expressing yourself in drama and, theatre because you were scared of being bullied. Um, yes. Were you already being bullied or was bullying something you were just trying to prevent because you saw other people being bullied? A bit of both, I think. You know, um, I went to a co-ed uh, private school. There was always everyone, look, I don't want to say like everyone bullied everyone, but everybody would throw a comment at somebody else that right. just for me personally, that's sort of how I looked at school in the sense of like everybody was kind of trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sadly, everyone would say some kind of put down to each other. Let's, yeah. let's be honest, nobody is a saint at, um, at, at secondary school, especially going through the delightful years of pu- puberty. Um, so I wasn't, I definitely wasn't bullied compared to other classmates who who did have you know quite possibly you know one of my close friends she had an awful experience at school whereas I had quite a a good one um but I think because it was high school was 2001 to 2006 um you know and being a gay man myself and and discovering my sexuality in high school but not coming out until then I was very aware of myself um (laughs) There were, there, there was another, well, there was, there ended up, even though I ended up being the first one to come out once school finished, um, after that would happen, there would end up being another 10 in my year level. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my classmates was um, far more feminine um, than myself. And right. he did, he did um, cop quite a bit of bullying. Yeah. And I think because I saw that, um, it was 2001 through to 2006. We didn't have the support groups and support networks and um, group activism um, that is in place nowadays. Yeah, we didn't have things like Wear It Purple, which celebrates queer youth. Yeah. Um, we didn't have a school that had a pride network. We didn't have, um, you know, the first teacher that I came across that was very supportive um, in regards to LGBTIQA community was my year 12 literature teacher. And it wasn't until I was in year 12 that, you know, we were studying um, lesbian poetry in her class. And it was just, and certain things we talk about, that's where um, Mm -hmm. I started to see that support. But in the years leading up to it, Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can even add to all of that with my own personal experience in high school in terms of just what was available in school. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I identify as a heterosexual female, um, but even just having the knowledge of what is out there, that people are different to you, you know, that, that these individuals can come in all different walks of life, all different genders. Um, 
And yeah, I, I mean, I have my own personal experiences of being bullied um, in school, just nasty catty girl things, um, things that a lot of girls tend to already be aware of anyway. So it's nothing new to add to the world. <laughs> um, but when it does come to, yeah, just understanding that not everyone had the same exposure in society as um, straight heterosexual men and women, and they can walk down the street and no one bats an eyelid, but the second there's a gay couple walking down the street um, or someone even who's, or a couple even that's just like a bit different as well, tend to get mm -hmm. judged and it's like a spectacle, you know, they don't blend into society. It's kind of like there's a spotlight on them and I am massively inclusive with all walks of life. Um, this is this is a huge part of my value system with the podcast is talking to lots and lots of different people. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, you know, uh, in terms of education in the school system as well, and in terms of literature, like you mentioned, a teacher of yours, um, was it lesbian poetry you said? Yeah, it was the poet um, Adrian Rich who was, um, she was a, a poet during sort of the late 60s, 70s, and I think maybe the early 80s, but her poetry was just brilliant. But I would love to actually, and I will, um, I'll pull my finger out and do it, um, <laughs> but actually reread her poetry that I studied as a 17-year-old and read it now, being yeah. nearly, what, 16 years later, I think, 15, 15 16 years later? 14 years later, when did I finish school? Um, <laughs> Around 14 there. Years later, God, 14 years, don't add ages, Brendy. Um, 14 years later as a 31-year-old man and see how I resonate with it. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And I think that's the beauty of um, any sort of art form, whether it's through words or movies or, you know, anything like that, is when we do grow older and we... Um, become more worldly and yes. when you come back to certain pieces of art and you re-watch them or revisit them you get all these different epiphanies that you wouldn't have gotten five years a, ago a different perspective absolutely like i've watched movies as a 20 year old that i then watched 10 years later and i'm like how did i not wow i did not pick up on that but i put it down to life experience i put it down to maturity i just put it down to to growth as well um, and self-development. Yeah, and that's mind. amazing. <laughs> and the mind, yes. The mind, the mind. Laura, the mind. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, I mean, there's, there's so, so many deep layers rooted to all of these topics. And, you know, um, we're all a colourful tapestry when we're people. Um, mm -hmm. Carol King tapestry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. So when it comes to um, creative self-expression, I'd love for you to elaborate a bit more on um, behavioural self-expression. I mean, you said when you were in um, high school, in order to prevent bullying, you obviously had to make different choices, maybe in the way that you would simply walk down the street, the kind of posture that you would have, the way you speak. Like, tell us... Um, how severe was the behaviour that you had to filter or that you felt well, you had to filter? So I thought I, I thought I was an excellent actor. Um, <laughs> turns out I wasn't doing that great of a job because turns out I wasn't doing that great of a job because everybody knew. Um, um, and, you know, I think if I was, if I was at school now, it would be very different. Um, I would have embraced who I who I am, um, and I would have celebrated it one hundred percent. But I think that's that's a sign of the times. Whereas yeah. back then, I just wanted to survive school. So I kind of just, in all honesty, I, I went under the radar. So I didn't engage in the high school musicals, but I attended them, mm -hmm. um, sitting in the audience, wishing that I was on the stage. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, yeah, the the creativity side of it. Um, I really didn't embrace at school whatsoever. Um, I had, you know, my main circle of male friends who were brilliant mm -hmm. um, 
And when I did come out at the end of school, uh, they very much all turned around and said to me, Brendy, we've known for about three years now. Um, we've, just <laughs> been waiting, we've just been waiting for you to come to the party. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and all of, all of my girlfriends as well, pretty much all knew as well. But I, it was once I sort of moved into year 11 that I went from having predominantly male friends um, to having a good sort of 50-50. Nice. So I had 50 percent female, fifty percent male, and I just sort of bounced between between all of them and started to get more and more comfortable. And I always thank um, or pay thanks because she and I've sort of fallen out of touch these days. But um, one of my closest friends, Marnie, was um, was she was well, she is um, she's lesbian, and we both pretty much came out to each other in year eleven and year twelve. Um, and and helped each other through. But, I mean, I'll be able to talk to you about friendships later on. But, um, yeah, so I sort of just... That's all right. It can all intertwine, and if it leads us into your next topic, that's totally fine. (laughs) But I was going to ask as well, like, um, I know within the gay communities, um, and I've done my best to also expose myself to different content to do with um, LGBTQ and all that sort of thing as well, And I think um, some people have the opinion in that community of just like, it's not about how they came out. Like everyone is sort of, and this isn't me being insulting or anything like this. This is me sort of paraphrasing other people's opinions, but they're sort of saying that um, everyone's sort of overhearing the coming out story. Um, But I feel like there's a lot of validity in telling your own story and like, you shouldn't um, let others kind of put that stigma onto you. And also it's part of you stepping into your authentic self as well. Yes. Yeah. So I've always, you know, coming out is a very personal, um, personal chapter in anybody's lives. Um, And it's, it's that person's choice to whether he, she, they, um, decide to come out and how they want to come out. It's, you know, nobody mm. should force it. Um, no, sh- nobody should tell them. It is, it is their, it's their decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, some people don't have to if they don't want to. Mm. However, I've always been the type um, of person, and this is just my own personal opinion, um, you know, we're still continuing to fight for equality um, and to bring about awareness Mm-hmm. Um, and you know inclusion and diversity. You know, if if, if we're not coming out proudly um, and you know waving that rainbow and saying this is who I am, I am who I am, mm. accept me. Mm. Um, we're not bringing about the movement for change and for equality because we can only get equality if we're continually moving those wheels in regards to our diversity and inclusivity Mm -hmm. um and that's where i just sort of think until we are equal yeah 100 equal um to the rest of society aka the heteronormative world um we do have to continue having that voice and coming out proudly and Mm -hmm. saying this is who i am Mm -hmm. um because otherwise the change will never happen um, and for me, coming out, and I've always referred um, referred to my coming out as this, and I always will. It was re- uh, it, my coming out was being reborn. So at seventeen, um, on the cusp of turning eighteen, that was when I finally. I was sixteen when I admitted it to myself. However, I was, and yeah, and I was then seventeen when I admitted it to Marnie. And then I started to tell my friends and then my family. Um, and that was around, as I say, the cusp of turning 18, 17, 18. And um, it was by far, once, once I said it out loud to myself, the weight slowly lifted. Then I told Marnie, the weight lifted a little bit more. Then I told my friends, the weight started to really lift. And then I knew that it was like, okay, I've got to get past the last hurdle, which is family. Yeah. And once I told them, all of a sudden the weight was gone and it was time for me to actually discover my true self mm-hmm. and shed 
18 years of hiding myself and embrace the rest of my life of discovering who I am. Amazing Read round it. of applause. Woo! And the crowd goes <laughs> wild. It's <laughs> yeah, probably pretty special. <laughs> that's so, we, we really, um, no, that's what we love to hear on the podcast is people stepping into themselves and, um, yeah, fantastic. Like that you can't get any more authentic than doing an act of self-love of saying, this is who I am. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely awesome. Unapologetic for it. Yes. And I absolutely love that word. Um, unapologetic. Um, yeah. And we should all try and do that. Every single human should do their best every single day to live themselves unapologetically and just step out there doesn't matter what sexuality you are um, or what you look like, all of that. It's just about uh, caring more about what you think about you than what others think about you. Always better um, or easier said than done. But um, the more that you can practice, um, the better you get. So, yeah. Actions speak louder than words. And I've always said that. Yeah. And um, 100%, especially to ourselves and having that integrity and integrity for me was something that I, I only really properly discovered the definition of what that is probably mm-hmm. within the last two years. So having your value system aligned with your behavior, that is integrity. Um, and also having your word mean something. So if you say oh. something like follow through to match yeah. that too. Yeah. Well, that's something that I've always, um, jumped on is when people and I know this might go off a little a little bit off um off track but when people talk about being an ally um for whatever specific movement it is that um is happening but their way of being an ally is just putting a photo up on their social media (laughs) that to me is is not being an ally that's just jumping on the bandwagon like if you want to be an active ally you go to the protests or you go to the peaceful marches or you, mm-hmm. you get involved, you educate yourself on why that particular image is maybe being used for that campaign instead of just seeing, oh, yep, 10 of my friends have put it up. You know, I'll, I'll put it up too just so you know, I don't feel guilty that I haven't. Mm. What's behind the image? What does it mean? What does it actually it educate yourself um what is said, like what is the representation is that what you yeah, mean what is the representation why are you specifically putting this up on your social media what does it mean to you and yeah. why yeah why and what um and okay if it's that important to you well then you should also be out on the streets protesting and being an ally mm. to that specific demographic of society that is marching for change. And something I would also love to add to that as well, because <laughs> on a personal level, I've never experienced being present at a protest, but actually um, another really good friend of mine, I've gotten to know her over the years and she's massively passionate about diversity in all forms, but um very much so on race and again this might be a tangent and go off topic but it relates back to what you're saying as in um do more than just post a social media banner up on your page is um she she helped teach me in saying and having discussions of well look at your friendship circle who are you friends with Are, are all of your friends white are all of your friends heterosexual if you're a heterosexual yourself um and start you can start in your own life and you can start small and take those steps to actually um start conversations with people you wouldn't normally have a conversation with um ask questions go into it knowing you may be naive or ignorant to some topics because you simply don't know and you're going to educate yourself Um, and you can, as long as you're willing and gentle enough and compassionate enough to communicate yourself in a kind manner, people should feel completely safe and welcome to help educate you as well. So, and, and if, if you don't want to start there, 
listen to podcasts, you know, you, you can, there's, there's content online, there's YouTube, there's, um, we have so much access to everything now in terms of information. So if talking to a stranger or getting involved in your community is a bit intimidating, start small and you can start um, finding things online. Definitely. And I mean, we grew up with, you know, the saying that, you know, you are growing up in a very multicultural country. Okay. Yes, we are. But yet we're experiencing and we're seeing so much racism. Yeah. And yet, yeah, and that's what I find quite sad is the fact that when we were kids, we were continually reminded that Australia is a multicultural country. Australia is a multicultural country. Yes, it, it is. But my God, we see so much, like, there is racism. Um, yeah, and around the globe, of course. But, like, you know, racism, um, homophobia. Like, mm. there's just, it's like, well, hold on. Like, change, positive change has to come about, but it's all about, yeah awareness and breaking down those barriers and And would you agree that things like those themes of racism and homophobia they come from a place of fear i think fear i think lack of education and i think it's also generational Mm. where it's conditioning yeah where it's it's sometimes um you know previous generations that Mm -hmm. you know kind of passed it down um yes but i definitely think it's also just a lack of lack of education um Mm -hmm. as in self-education that is Mm -hmm. um and just ignorance that's not everyone but it's Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think um the base the base level um of all of us as human beings or any living thing really is um there's a soul inside and there's a um, whether it's an animal as well, there's a soul inside. Um, and we're all just trying our best to share this earth together. And we all want, uh, you know, the basic needs we need to, we need to love and be loved. Uh, we all want to be seen and we all want to be heard. Um, and so it takes that giving and receiving and, um, yeah, in terms of, um, you know, the generational stuff, 100%. 100%. You know, I've, I've, I've seen it in my own personal history of living on this earth <laughs> and having gone through um, certain themes of exactly that. Um, and it's, it's really tough to uh, deal with discrimination in yeah. um, your own personal life. And I, I really do feel for the gay community because my goodness, you guys have gone through so, so much. And it's a history of trauma that's only just coming to the surface now. Like something that's really obvious in my world is every time Mardi Gras Gras comes around, you know, thank goodness it's on the news. Like you guys need that coverage. It's, it's It's what we all need to balance the scales back to an even playing field of just equality. And so, yeah, I mean, we can talk about that now. Uh, so yeah, LGBTIQA, can you tell us what those acronyms are? Yeah. So the acronym stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender diverse, intersex, queer, asexual, and questioning. Amazing. And yeah, it deserves to be, sorry, (laughs) what was that? The acronym's getting bigger and bigger and longer and longer and it's great. And a part of me wants to say, and I, I understand that I'm speaking from a hetero mindset, is like, is it, can we condense it down in some way? And in a massive, it's probably, no, we all need to be visible. Well, I mean, it was once only LGB. And then it's yeah. surely you know, grown and um, developed and you mm-hmm. know, additions have been added onto it, which is wonderful. Um, because as you said earlier, it's all about the visibility. Yeah, 100%. So um, in terms of uh, friendships, how did you navigate friendships in your 20s? So, I mean, the beginning of my 20s, I pretty much only had two gay friends. I remember mm. my 21st birthday, I, think I literally had um, three gay friends at a party for 120 people. Um, and a lot of friends that were there were friends from school, 
um, girlfriends I met through, you know, when I, when I was studying nursing and, um, and then it was, you know, girlfriends, boyfriends and groups of males and everyone was pretty much straight. It wasn't until I finished or until after, as I say, um, after my 21st that I really, I mean, I started getting involved in, in the gay community around about sort of 1920, but my friends, um, Ryan and Paul really took me out and we really hit the scene and it was through them that you know, my friendships developed. But how did I navigate in the workforce that I was in, I was working in a hospital, so I was wanting to get as much experience before I went off nursing. So I was working with um, middle-aged. Once I discovered my community and I started developing friendships, I naturally gravitated towards embracing that world mm -hmm. so much more and meeting other gay males and lesbians and bisexuals and, mm -hmm. and other people I could relate to and they could relate to me and but that was also like you know those those two girls Jenny and Kristen have seen me flourish but I've also yeah. seen them flourish in their own ways as well mm -hmm. um and you know and, and they're wonderful true friends and they've sort of stuck with me but I think over my 20s you know one of my friends Matt Holt said to me you know you meet a lot of different people in your 20s and you know, over the years and whatnot and it's the friendships that once you hit the seven-year mark with a friend, you know that you're actually in it for the long haul. Yeah. And, you know, in my early 20s, I was, I would meet people and, my God, I would be going to every single party that I got invited to. I would book in three coffee catch-ups with friends. <laughs> and then, I'd then be going to a breakfast and then a lunch and a dinner with all these different party people that I'd met just to engage as many friendships as possible because it was just socialite, socialite, socialite colleagues, so people yeah. that were around about this age. So I learnt very quickly how to talk to adults that were a good 15 to 30 years older than me mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maintain conversations and, you know, sense of humour and just engaging conversations, as I say. Um, it also helped when, as I say, Paul and Ryan started taking me out clubbing. Mm -hmm. I was talking to gay men that were my age, but then I was also talking to men that were 15 to 18 years older than me. And yeah. I had never talked to people um, outside of, especially in high school, I never talked to anybody that was in the years below me or above me. I only ever talked to my own age group. So mm -hmm. that was skills that definitely, I guess, developed naturally for me. And I really honed in on how to be social with all different age groups. I think mm -hmm. also my social skills helped while I was a nurse because I was obviously caring for patients of all different ages. So yeah. it was you know, communication skills really, really increased and whatnot. But mm -hmm. um, going back to friendships, I guess for me, it just kind of naturally, whether or not it was my theatre friends or even work friends, I sort of really started to actually learn and educate myself about the different friendships. So I realised that, you know, I had my really, really inner core of close, almost, you know, the old term of, you know, best friends. Like, mm -hmm. like that was my very, very core core um, circle of friends. And then I had my close friends. And then there was, you know, the work friends, which generally for me, you know, I never socialise with work friends while I'm working with them. It's not until I actually leave a workplace that I'm like... <laughs> now actually know who I'm going to keep in contact with and we're absolutely now going to develop an outside of work friendship. 100%. Um, I can relate to that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, theatre friends, I always, and I mean, you would know this, like it was, we'd be in rehearsals and it was theatre theater stage performance friends were like work for me as well. Like it yeah. was like, okay, we'll see each other rehearsing or we're doing shows all week, yada, yada, yada. But once yeah. the show finishes, we'll keep in contact. And then I also appreciated the party friends or, you know, the clubbing friends. because I was like, you know what, every certain friendship, no matter what circle it fell into, and it wasn't about categorising, but it was just sort of natural circles that they fell into, mm -hmm. served a purpose. So I was never, I, I learnt, I guess in my early 20s, I was kind of like, oh my God, that person doesn't make an effort with me. But then I learnt 
and it took a while but I learned that I was like oh actually no they're a party friend and that's totally fine that I only see them at that party so that sort of you know that was a really really interesting um learning learning curve for me just in regards to um I guess the different styles of friendships that, that mm. one can and not putting pressure on those friendships, but also embracing the close ones and enjoying the distant ones. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I think coming to peace with that as well is, as in um, everyone is going to be at a different place in their life to whether, whether they are open to a lot of energy from friends or whether they're a little bit more insular. And I think that comes from a spiritual place as well whether that's you're single or in a relationship, you've just left a relationship, like social statuses tend to revolve um, as life changes. Um, and also um, being okay and comfortable knowing that friends can come and friends can go. You know, I've got friends that are so near and dear to my heart, but I won't see or speak to them for years. And when we do finally, there's sort of that instant forgiveness and that, I see you, I hear you, I still love you as a friend and we're here in this time and this space together now and let's embrace that. Yep, absolutely. You know, I, I sort of completely, I, well, not even sort of 100% agree with you on that one. I see my friends, I've always referred to this, um, are my second family, 100%. Yeah. Like the, the family I'm born into and there's a family I choose and my mm. friends are the family I choose. Um, and I stick by that. Friendships, it's, it's interesting how, you know, in my early 20s, you know, I had one girlfriend that was not, a, when I say one girlfriend, I mean gal pal. Um, and we, we had such a hoot together, but we were very, very different. But we also clashed heads and we ended up parting ways. And we'd actually only recently sort of reconnected via the socials and just reminiscing about you know our younger years had such a laugh and have organized to catch up for cocktails um because mm -hmm. we've got some friends and i look forward to seeing her but i think that's also because we've had nearly 10 years apart yeah um, and it would never it would never go back to the way that it was because mm -hmm. you never go back you're always stepping forward that's right but we can at least come together have a laugh reminisce <laughs> but then also enjoy each other in the moment and then probably probably know head our different directions and that's mm. fine too but yeah it's also even though you know some friendships part on you know unhappy terms we look back on it now in hindsight and you're like fuck i learned something from that yeah. i learned from i learned from that negative or bad experience how to be a better friend mm -hmm. in this future experience um, yeah and and you take those lessons with you and carry them on to other Absolutely. interactions for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I wanted to jump back quite a fair way. I had this point in my head that I wanted to talk about. Uh, <laughs> something that you mentioned was, um, you know, when you finally did come out and step into yourself and become your flamboyant, natural, authentic self, I can relate to that from a, from a femi feminism point of view of just being a female in a world where we're told in society that, you know, it's the white man that's the dominant one. And in terms of sex itself, you know, the man that is the more successful, the more driven, the more one in control of their decisions. And, and, and so I'm also a, I'm the baby of my family and the only girl. And there's a gap between me and my next brother. Um, there's a five year gap and then a seven year gap between me and my oldest brother. And so as siblings do, you, you wrestle with each other and you, and you know, you bicker and whatever like that, but me being so much younger and smaller and a female and, and when you're smaller anyway, you're not very strong anyway. I think from a really young age, I learned that oh, I need to, you know, I'm not as strong as the boys. Like that, that's probably a lot of little girls first lesson is like, oh, I'm not as fast as the boys. Like when it comes to running around the playground or in sports, athletics or whatever, it's like, oh, I'm not as fast. I'm not as strong. And then if you're someone like me, who's not naturally academic, 
I'm like, oh, I'm not that smart. Um, obviously, these can be all lies we tell ourselves and we can yes. um, improve on ourselves later in life. But um, when it comes to behavior and self-expression, like simply like the clothes that we choose to wear and the way that we walk down the street, and I personally have a really flamboyantly loud laugh. And so my own personal experiences have been the sorts of clothes that I decide to wear. And um, do I not laugh too loudly? And a lot of these things are observations that are given to you over time and then they kind of force you to look at yourself and question yourself. And the heinous term gender normative that we all grow up with where <laughs> boys are supposed to wear blue, girls wear pink. Boys are supposed to be masculine, girls are feminine. Boys wear pants, girls wear dresses. Boys yeah. have short hair. Girls have long hair. Like, all boys mm -hmm. don't wear makeup. Girls wear makeup. All that heinous stuff. Mm -hmm. This is where nowadays we're breaking down those gender normatives and being like, you know what? If if a woman or um, someone who's non-binary wants to play football, go for it. It's mm -hmm. it's no longer a masculine sport. It can just be a sport. Mm -hmm. um, if anyone wants to wear something fashionably flamboyant, a skirt, whatever they want, they can. They want to wear makeup, go for it. You know, mm -hmm. wearing makeup, embrace it. Um, it's it's little things, and I mean, it's definitely a huge stepping stones, and we've still got a, a far a far way to go. But it is about breaking down um, gender normatives. Yeah, one hundred percent. Traditional um, ideals of what a man or woman should do and this is where you know the non-binary terminology of them and they is helping 100 percent. jumping on back to the podcast i had to plug in my laptop was about to die but um <laughs> we're back now so i can just edit that bit you know <laughs> <laughs> um yeah gender normatives right so you know i'm someone who has a couple of male pieces of clothing in my wardrobe because interestingly enough there are i tend to find they can be quite better quality made materials with a lot of um male clothing i'm talking things like um you know coats and stuff like the oversized yeah. stuff that you can get away with wearing as a female and still feel like how you want to express yourself is how you feel comfortable so and, you know, um, me personally, coming from the hairdressing industry, I've felt immense pressure to have to look and perform. It is very performative to look and dress and present yourself in a way that has to be consistent every single day. And the thing that bugs me is as human beings, we're not innately consistent every day. We're not. We, we all tend to fight this natural instinct that we have as human beings that we're not, that we're not consistent whether it's habits, um, whether it's um, something we're trying to do every day, whether it's breaking an old habit or starting a new habit, it's really hard for us to try and do those things. And so some days I don't want to wear makeup to do my hairdressing job, but um, it's frowned upon by so many people. Um, half of my clients couldn't care less what I look like um, because they've gotten to know me. It's not a first impression anymore. But even when it does come to first impressions, just for the sake of social experimentation, I've actually thought of in the past, when I do go off to job interviews, that I don't wear a scratch of makeup, or even on a first date, that you don't completely change your outer appearance. Because when you're in the long term part of a relationship, that's not how you are you're a little bit more stripped down, a little bit more minimal and relaxed. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, oh, and there's, yeah. I do have my moments, Laura, where I'm like, do I go on a date with my natural hair not styled? And just, so <laughs> just so they can see what they're going to wake up to the please, next morning. <laughs> please describe to the listeners your hair for those who haven't seen oh, the photo. I'll send you I'll send you a photo and you can totally put it up on the um on your on the Instagram. It is very wiry. Um I style my hair so it looks very 1920s, 1930s finger wave, but when it doesn't have products. Because it's it, curly, right? It is very curly yeah. and it is 
it's like I put my finger in a power socket. Um, <laughs> it's pretty much, it's it's pretty much a very much a natural afro, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. And everyone that sees it has mm-hmm. said to me, "You have got a natural afro." <laughs> Um, so we're going to just slowly wrap this podcast up, but I do want to ask you one last question. And the question is, what do you believe is your gift to the world? <laughs> Laura. <laughs> that wasn't on the brief. <laughs> What's my gift to the world? Um, take your time. Take a moment if you need to have a think. Um, in all honesty, and this isn't, I'm going to 100... 100% embrace this. I think my gift to the world is my, um, I don't know how to phrase this one. Um, yep, yeah, okay, here we go. I think my gift to the world, Laura, is my unapologetic attitude to talk about everything and anything. When I'm passionate about something, I jump on board it and I do not stop driving until, <laughs> until everyone knows about it. So, whether you know, I love you know, my gift to the world. You know, it could include my stage performances. It could in- include my previous podcast and panel discussions that I host for work for LGBTIQA equality and inclusion and diversity. Um, it could be my love for reading and hosting book clubs and bringing about that education and knowledge. Uh, it, it's also you know the shows that I write. Um, I'm quite passionate about those because they've always got a meaning and uh, an underlining story about them. It's not just Brendy putting on a fun fun show. It's it's talking about life experience, um, and I guess Amazing. on a personal level, um, always being able to talk about everything and anything. Yeah, um, that's a beautiful quality, and um, what many qualities in that? <laughs> A lot of qualities in there, but there's always, you know, uh, there's an overarching theme and, you know, you walk your walk and you talk your talk and that's everything that you just said, you laid it all out and that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. And um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on and as my first ever podcast guest. It um, has been a pleasure to um, be interviewed by you, Dal. Thank you. And um, now is your chance on the podcast if you want to plug anything. So anything you're doing, um, Instagram handles, etc. Oh goodness. Um, well, look. Yeah, as you know, Laura, my my Instagram is Brandy Ford underscore Fabulous. I'm very, very passionate, obviously, about diversity and inclusion and equality in our community. I love reading, so I'm always boasting on about what books I'm up to because I do run two book clubs. I also run a fabulous Broadway class on a Saturday morning at Body Electric in Collingwood. So if anybody wants, it does become available um, (laughs) at 8am, jump on board that definitely. And also I, you know, and Laura will be jumping on board these. I've got um, three new cabarets that will be coming out once the Melbourne artistic scene picks up again. So Laura, no doubt you'll be cast in no uh, <laughs> and then all of all of the listeners can come and see us on stage and actually meet us in person Doing if they want to. Um, yeah, no, thank you so much for um, having me on your first show. It's been a real, real honour, and I've had a hoot chatting with you, Dal. Yes, wonderful. And last but not least, do you want to tell everyone the dance classes you've been running on Saturday mornings to keep everyone pumped and going for the week? As uh, in Melbourne, we're still in restriction for lockdown um, because of COVID-19. So tell us about that. So what I've just been doing, because my regular class that I was just talking about um, isn't running at the moment, to keep the individual, the casual casual dancers, who a lot of them are actually my friends these days and I met through the class, to keep them all connected, I've just been running a 15-minute freestyle session. We'll say it's not even a class. It's just a, a freestyle session catch-up session on a Saturday morning at 9am from my bedroom. Bit of a dance party, isn't it? It's like a dance party. So I I normally pick four to five songs, whack it on through Spotify, I share it through the link, the Zoom link, and there's been anywhere from 50 through, like it could go from like just eight of us on a Saturday morning through to 40 to 50 of us. And it's just, 
a really great way. Um, you know, it's it's completely free. It's not me being like, great, like going to plug this or plug that or, you know, come to my dance class. It's just me and a bunch of random friends. Um, and I mean, Laura, you came to one last yeah. weekend. My friend Amelia, who's not a dancer at all, um, she's been coming to it every week because it's just a great um, release Mm. for everyone in regards to the pent-up energy of the week, the shit heinous situation that we all find ourselves currently in, and just a great way to dance, sweat, and, and let it all out. I, I mean, can't believe my- how much I sweated in 15 minutes, <laughs> by the way. I, I wasn't uh, expecting that. And by the way, everyone, um, it was so worth it. Like, 15 minutes doesn't sound very long, but... The rest of my day, I was on this like endorphin high because we got to connect with each other and you also got to, you're in your own space so you feel safe and comfortable in, in a familiar environment and you can just really let go, can't you? Completely let go. Turn up the music and just, yeah, it's it's been a saving grace for me, to be quite honest. And that was something that once my class, my physical class stopped, I wrote to a couple of girlfriends and I was like, right, class has stopped. This is what I'm thinking of doing just for 15 minutes. Would you be keen? And they're all just like, yes, 100% yes, I'm there. Amazing. Um, And it's been, as as good as it's been for them, it's also been incredible for me. Yeah, 100%. Being able to facilitate something always feels amazing. How I feel about this podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. And so you should. Well, we'll wrap it up there, Brendy. Thank you so much again for being on the show. And um, yeah. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can find more information on the podcast and other episodes on our Instagram at lifestyle.mindfulnesswithlaura. We publish podcasts weekly, so stay tuned for the next one. Have a beautiful day or evening and keep stepping into your authentic self.